0: Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest on the line. Before we get to her, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Yolked. Yolked is a fertilized egg yolk supplement that you take with your protein. It's supposed to increase the effectiveness of protein, and in clinical trials, they showed three times the muscle growth compared to the control samples. So, great product. I was using it for OCR America this past winter. Tastes actually really good. It sounds like it, it shouldn't, but it's like powdered and it tastes delicious. And if anyone wants to try it, they can use code STRENGTH20 uh, for 20% off every time you order. And then the website is com, And you can read a little bit more about it there. And I think I also have a review up on Muddling Guide. You have to search for that because I think that was a couple months ago. All right, let's get to today's guest. I have a Spartan Pro on the line, I have Emmy Cross or Imogene, is that how you pronounce your name, first name without the abbreviation? It's,
1: yeah, you pronounce it Imogen,
0: but Imogen. I mostly
1: go by Emmy.
0: Emmy. Okay, I have Emmy Cross, so I'll tell you a little bit about her, and then we'll start talking a little bit more in depth. So she's on the Spartan Pro Team. This is her second year in a row, the third year running Elite Heats. Did her first race back in 2015. She co-owns a strength and conditioning studio in Sterling, Virginia, with her fiancé. Certified personal trainer, also a certified Spartan SGX Coast. SGX Coast. As a teenager, it was crazy about horses, you used to compete. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that later on in the show. Uh, placed first in a super and a sprint weekend, uh, which was her first first place ever uh, last year. Super exciting. And then uh, her fiance is her support crew, comes to most of the races, and builds new obstacles to train on in their gym. She also works for Les Mills and national presenter for, and trainer for CXWRX and Body Pump. So, Emmy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So, I'm really excited to have you on. We were talking a little bit before the show started because, from your own words, a Spartan purist, so you basically only race Spartan, and I'm almost the complete opposite. But I like that because it brings on a different point of view and a different perspective into the sport. So, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And let's start off with, just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into fitness in general.
1: Getting into fitness um, happened when I was at university. I actually was doing a geography degree and used to go and take fitness classes and met this girl who is now one of my best friends. And at the time she was wanting to lose weight. And so I helped her lose weight, even though I had no idea at the time what I was doing. I just was supportive for her, going to the gym with her, going to the uh, grocery store with her. And... It, I got such a sense of satisfaction out of helping her lose weight because she was so happy. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, I'm doing the wrong degree. <laughs> but um, I finished my geography degree anyway um, and then got into fitness a little bit later on in life.
0: Cool. And what kind of sports did you start playing, or did you just start exercising and going to the gym in general?
1: yeah i didn't i didn't play any sports at university um i was quite sporty at school when i was younger because we had to play netball we played lacrosse we played volleyball we did all the track and field events uh, cross country swimming all of that was mandatory at school Um, so when i went to university i mean i was definitely active in terms of just doing cardio and going to fitness classes, but I didn't really do sports that much. I did a little bit of sailing. I think I did maybe one semester of kickboxing, which I really didn't like, but yeah, it was just general fitness when I was at university.
0: Nice, and I guess we should back up a tiny smidge, because where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in England, in Worcestershire, which is in the West Midlands, so For anyone who's vaguely familiar with the country, it's not too far away from Bristol, Birmingham, um, Wales, and that's where I lived most of my life until I moved to the States.
0: And I don't have my map of England on me, but I'm pretty sure that is not that far from Toughest Mudder UK, or at least where it was held uh, two years ago. Right.
1: Yeah. Like we were talking about before, (laughs) nowhere is that far away. Once you've lived in a larger country, uh, such as the United States, then um, you realize that all those times you complained about having to drive two or three hours to get somewhere in England, (laughs) there was really nothing to complain about.
0: Nice. And when did you end up moving over to the States?
1: I moved to the States in May of 2010. So I'm just coming up on 10 years living here.
0: Oh, nice. I know you played some other sports. So you've We mentioned in your bio that you did some horse riding. Can you tell us a little bit about the different events you competed in? Because I know there's not just, there's a whole bunch of events, right?
1: Yes, there are. So I was absolutely crazy about horse riding um, when I was younger. And then between the ages of 13 to 18, I actually owned my own horse. And so I was a member of the pony club and the riding club. Um, I did cross-country events I did show jumping I did dressage I did one-day events and in a one-day event if you're not familiar with horse riding at all that's where you do all three of those disciplines in a day um, and then the total of your scores for each of them are you know accumulated and that's how they figure out who's won the event and I really did I really liked those dressage I really enjoyed I loved cross-country so keen on show jumping. My horse, that was not really his forte. During the summers, when I was a teenager, i it was just all horses. Um, And I would just spend my whole day at the stables, riding, watching my horse out in the field. (laughs) I was completely obsessed.
0: One of the things I never imagined is the amount of crossover there actually is from OCR and horse riding, because you're the third like person who has horse riding experience or I'm not, maybe I don't know, using the right term that I've, I've had on the show. So we've had Adrian Albert on who owns her own, I guess, dressage uh, company in the U S and then she's a toughest mutter competitor. And then yeah. Corinna Coffin, I think her dad used to compete. I'm not sure on the events. I'd have to go back and listen to that episode from like two years ago, but her dad used to compete. I think won a gold medal in something. Oh wow. Horse related. So she's, she's been kind of straddling the CrossFit, and OCR worlds for the last couple of years, so she's kind of one foot in each world at this point. Yeah, but yeah, so that's wild. Um, one of the things we like to do on our show is ask people think lessons learned they t- they can take from other sports. So, is there anything from you know competing in these horse shows? Am I using them the right term? What about what, what, what's the, what yeah?
1: No, yeah, you can say that horse shows. Um, I think honestly, if anything, it's um, learning to fail with grace. You know, no matter what sport you compete in, you're not going to succeed all the time. If you do, well, hey, really, you really must be really great.
0: <laughs> but right.
1: um, you need to be okay with failure. And I think that when kids especially compete in sports, you know, at young ages, it's obviously great for them to succeed, but it's almost more important for them to fail. Um, And to have something to strive for and to work towards to better themselves. I think I definitely got that from horse riding because sometimes I was successful and sometimes I wasn't. And sometimes, you know, you, you analyze it afterwards and you have to figure out what went wrong. And I think one of the huge things now coming into racing is that if I have a disappointing race and something doesn't go the way that I wanted it to... It takes a minute, but afterwards I can just look back on it on a learning experience and say, okay, let's chalk this one up to, you know, you've learned a really important lesson here and let's not make the same mistake again. Definitely the same with riding because you're, you're learning from your own mistakes, but you're also learning from the mistakes that your horse makes, which ultimately are your own mistakes as well. So it's kind of like a double A double learning curve there, but yeah, I think learning how to fail, pick yourself up, and and keep going again was one of the most important lessons from writing.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely great, and I love that. I know personally, I feel like I the only reason I'm good as I am in the sport now is because I failed so many times for so long. (laughs) Yeah, and most of my failures were out of the spotlight, so no one, you know, I spent. You know, I ran my first marathon, was 2003. So I've been endurance running for almost 17 years. People see now and they're like, oh, well, you, were just, you were just born that good. I was like, are you kidding me? I've been, I've been failing and missing goals for, mm. for almost two decades before I started doing well. So yeah. yeah, love that answer. Talk about your transition into the sport of OCR, kind of how you found it. And-
1: um, well, back in 2015, so I used to live in California. When I moved over to the States, I lived in California. Um, and I had a couple of friends and back in 2015, they said, Hey, do you want to come and run up hills with us? We're training for a spark race to which my answer was probably, Oh, hell no, <laughs> I don't run up hills. Um, which was completely legitimate answer. I would go running, but I just like to run on the flat. I didn't run up any kind of incline. Um, but you know, I kind of, that was where I first heard about it and then a friend from work, who is actually now my fiance, um, said that he was going to run the race. And so he started talking about it. He was training for it. And so I decided, yeah, let's see what this is about. So I ran uh, my first Spartan race, 2015. It was in Monterey, in California, and it was a super. And one of my friends who had invited me to do the hill running, I ran with him. And then, because I was doing it, I said, right, well, I'm going to have to get someone else to do it with me. (laughs) So I invited a girlfriend. Um, So it was the three of us that ran this race together. And it was so much fun. But even at the time, even though I was running it for fun and I was with my friends and we were just having a good time, even on that very first race, I I felt this sense of, I guess, frustration because I wanted to go faster and I had to wait and that you know once I finished the race I always say to people you know once you finish your first race you're going to say to me when's the next one you're going to be on the website you're going to be looking for when the next race is because that's exactly how I was that race was over and I thought oh my gosh when can I do that again and it's not like I was wanting to go and do it on my own instantly but I definitely you know I got the bug right away I wanted to race again but in that first race I definitely had this feeling like I want to go faster I want to test myself but I've started with these friends and I want to finish
0: with them. Gotcha and when did you decide like how many races after that did you decide to run in the elite heat and run competitively? Um,
1: Well actually um, so that one was obviously open for fun and that was a super so then later in the year I ran the Tahoe Beast And I ran that with um, my same friend who had introduced me to the race in the first place. Once again, (laughs) it was very slow because I was waiting a lot, waiting, waiting, waiting. And he actually did say to me many times, oh, just go ahead, you go ahead. And I said, no, 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 we've started this together. We can finish it together. And we were up on that mountain for seven hours. (laughs) It was quite the ordeal. However because I wanted to get my trifecta I had then signed up to run the sprint the very next day and that I signed up to run elite and I really didn't know I still was so new to obstacle course racing I didn't really know anything about it um and and I don't know who was competing in our race but I actually came fourth which I was really chuffed about because that was only the third race I'd ever run and that was it for 2015 I got my trifecta and then in 2016 and 2017, I ran maybe two or three races in each of those. I really wasn't pursuing OCR at all. It was more just as a fun thing. But I, at some point in one of, you know, one of those years, I did switch over and I started to run the elite heats instead and train a little bit more for it. Um, but it wasn't until 2018 that it was officially I bought my season pass, my elite season pass, and I booked all of these races. And it was, okay, let's see what you're really capable of, and let's, let's do it the right way.
0: Awesome. And obviously you've had some, some significant success because you're now on the pro team for the last couple of years. And... Yeah.
1: That kind of came out of the blue, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, in 2018 – Um, I got on the podium four times I got one second and three thirds and you know I was like the first time I got on the podium I was absolutely ecstatic it was the most exciting thing ever and then yeah this I was invited to try out for the pro team and that in itself was really really exciting so I went to this day it was out in uh, Laughlin in um, Nevada And we had to do these seven different events, which were just awful, like, just, I mean, really horrible things. Um, And, you know, everyone was trying their best and kind of suffering through it. And it was followed by a super and a sprint. So we had the tryouts on the Friday, super on the Saturday, and then the sprint on the Sunday. So I stayed for the whole weekend. Um and they actually had said to us at the time, you know, you guys are gonna compete in these events, it's a point system and they explained it all to us and they said, We're gonna tell you on the day who's made the team, you know, that the day rolls around and they said, Look, we need to tally up these results and we, we're gonna have to get back to you on who, you know, who's in what kind of standing. So, you know, we all went off home to get some rest before the race the next day and they said they would let us know on this day of the super. Well, that day came around and they didn't say anything. And so we all went home and and nothing, just absolute radio silence, we didn't hear anything. And so I had just completely given up hope that I had made the team and was really just on the cusp of buying my own season pass. When Bing, this email came through and said, congratulations, I was just, oh my gosh, I was so over the moon. I think I wrote this funny post. I took a screenshot of the email or I was texting somebody, telling somebody and I said, Um, excuse me while I tell everyone I've ever met about this. (laughs) So (laughs) I was just so, I was so happy. I mean, I really, really didn't think it was going to happen at all. So yeah, that was amazing. Just honestly, such an honor and a privilege to be asked to join the team. Um, And then, you know, to be on the team for a second year running. um, and, And I had a lot of people going, well, of course, of course, you'll be on the team second year running. And you don't want to be all sort of cocky and arrogant. Oh, you know, I was on it last year. I'm going to be on it this year. So, you know, I had sort of a quiet confidence because in terms of my performance, I, I did much better in 2019 than I did in 2018. And I felt like I had earned my spot for 2020. But then when they did start to ask people, there were people who I really expected to be on the team who weren't. and um, that's when I kind of felt, gosh, you you are lucky again to be on the team. So, yeah, it was a bit nerve-wracking.
0: Yeah, you never know, because the the race company's main goal is to sell sell tickets to their race. So I think yeah. there's, I think it's a lot more complicated than just tallying up who has the. Obviously, you want the people with the best results. But it, like, once you once you get past the, you know, the obviously like the the people from the world championship podium, right? Like they're going to be on the team, or they're going to be offered yeah. a spot on the team. But once you start like going down a couple, you know, past those, you know, podium world class athletes, it's just like, oh, well, you know, it could be this person or it could be this person or it could be this person. And like someone's social media presence may be better. And someone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's not so cut and dry. And, you know, I, there's a lot of people I know who get involved in the sport and do absolutely phenomenal one year. And then they just they're just a ghost. And like you never hear of them again. And you're like, yeah,
1: what,
0: what happened to that guy or that girl? So, wow. Congratulations, obviously. Thank you. Because that's awesome. You said 2019 was a much better year. So what did you, did you change your training or, you know, why, why do you think that you ended up performing so much better in 2019?
1: Um, I did change up what I was doing with my running. So in 2018, I just kind of, you know, it was my goal to go running two to three times a week. And I didn't really have any kind of plan in mind. It wasn't well thought out. Whereas in 2019, it was, you know, I had my, my race schedule in front of me and I'm thinking, okay, what's coming up next? Um, you know, I've got a sprint. If you have a sprint coming up next, there's no point in going out and running 10 to 15 miles. You know, you need to train for your next race. And so it's the whole um, train smarter, not harder thing and and it really you know my my fiance um who I run my studio with he would continue to tell me this all the time you're running too much you know you need to be focusing on what's coming next don't just go out and go for a run there needs to be a plan so you know maybe i'm a little slow on the uptake but i finally did uh, start listening to him <laughs> and start doing things a little differently um, and then you know <sighs> definitely I knew I needed to work on my grip strength because there were obstacles that I would be struggling with each time I came to a race. And so, um, last year, yeah, I guess it was last year we joined a rock climbing gym and I started doing that. Now I didn't get very proficient at all, but it definitely, I could see my progress in terms of the routes that I could climb And, you know, that obviously was an addition, something I wasn't doing at all in 2018. And I think also, you know, there's, so there's the running, there's a grip strength, but there's also the huge aspect of your mental game as well. And I think over the course of last year and even, even, it was more at the end of last year that that really became apparent as to really how important it is. Um, and I think that my best example of that is the multi rig. So, obviously, you said you don't run sparks too much, but that's the rings. So, in a sprint, it's just rings. In a super, it's rings, a bar, and rings. And then in a beast, it's rings, a bar, and ropes. And when it's just the rings, so my preferred method for that, I don't like to do the swinging like a lot of people do because my grip strength really isn't so great for that. If you let go with one hand and you're holding on with one hand and swinging through, that's where I'm most likely just going to lose hold of the ring and fail the obstacle. So my preferred method for that is to keep that 90 degree bend in my elbows and pass the ring. One, two, one, two, one, two, as I work my way through the rings. But I just had it in my mind that I couldn't maintain that all the way through to the end and ring the bell. Like at some point when I only had two or three rings left, I would run out of that momentum and then I would need to go into that dead hang with one hand on each ring and start swinging and, you know, make my way that way. Until I went to this race, which was in October of last year. It was a brand new one that Spartan added, which was the Ocean City City Sprint. So it was all on the boardwalk and through the streets and in this, uh, on the beach. Really fun. And oh, wow. yeah, I ran, fun. yeah, it really was. I ran the elite heat in the morning and I, you know, I made the same like stupid mistake, really, honestly. It was passing the rings one, two, one, two, one, two. And then I get towards the end and I think, oh, you know, I'm done. I've got no momentum. I have to start swinging. And somebody overtook me right there on the rings because I was dilly-dallying. And so I then later in the afternoon, I had this really um, fun round where I ran with a whole group of people. Most of them, it was their first race ever. So, you know, we walked a bit, we ran a bit, and I helped them with the obstacles. I showed them how to do things. It just, when you are a trainer and a coach, it's one of the most gratifying things to see the enjoyment and the satisfaction that people get from like not necessarily even being able to conquer the obstacle, but just trying and being there with them every step of the way. But because we were the last heat, when we got to that multi-rig at the end, there was no one on it. So I said, okay, it's practice time. So I went through that thing a good four or five times, just using my method. one two, one two, one two, one two, one two. ring the bell come back, do it again, One two, one two, one two, one two, one two. ring the bell, just to prove to myself, in my mind, you can do this, and it was so useful, because later that year, I went to my final East Sprint weekend, it was down in the very south of North Carolina, and it was raining all day, it was super, super muddy, and on the day of the sprint, they actually had to change the course, because it was so muddy, and so you came out from what was the dunk wall. I mean, it was more like a pond because it rained so much. And it was right into the multi-rig. So your hands are completely soaked. The rings are wet. And even still, just one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, ring bell. And I was like, oh, yes, I finally cracked this obstacle. It took such a long time. But I finally feel like I've got it. And not to say when I stand on that box, I'm not really nervous and anxious about it still, but I know in my mind I can do it. And that's so important because if you go into an obstacle with a negative mindset, probably not going to do so well.
0: Yeah. I absolutely loved everything you just said, Uh, the specificity of training and when you have specific races coming up, the mental aspect of racing and competing and completing obstacles, and then the matching hands on obstacles. So I am a huge fan of I match hands on every single, like if it's physically possible to match my hands on the, on the obstacle, I will do that because I think, yeah. I think it's, I actually think it's faster on a, in a lot of aspects for the rings,
1: for those rings doing that multi-rig, mine a hundred percent hands down doing one, two, one, two, one, two is faster than swinging.
0: Yeah. And then on top of that, I, it's more secure. Like you were saying, um, yeah. it allows you to do opposing grip. So you, you have essentially, yes, it has tension pulling you off and, you know, when it's wet or when you're tired or, you know, on on my specialty, I tend to run on the ultra side of things like that single arm swing. It's just not, it's just not something most people can do 18 hours into a race. It's just not feasible. It's just not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. So, um, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Love those techniques. Definitely great tips that our listeners can take away and apply to their own races, whether they're doing Spartan or another series as we talked about earlier, Spartan purist. So got to ask why, why Spartan over the other brands?
1: That's a good question. I mean, honestly, that was my, my introduction to OCR and I just, I just haven't strayed away from it. So um, you know, Tough Mudder until they got into financial difficulties was obviously really popular too. The reason I never wanted to do that was because of the electrocution obstacle. <laughs> I know that OCR is dangerous. I mean, I've come away with, you know, bruises and scrapes and pain here, there and everywhere and barbed wire cuts and things, but that's kind of expected, you know, the rough and tumble. But being electrocuted, mm-mm, no thanks. <laughs> so that was definitely like tough. Mutter was just it wasn't going to happen me because of that. Um, I'm definitely interested in trying some of the other ones. Savage or Bonefrog Frog are the two that kind of um, the most interesting to me. But I think honestly, if I could pick one thing, which is why I haven't done any of the others, it's because. When I pick out my schedule for Spartan, I'm basically racing two, it's usually about two races a month. And if I start adding more races on other weekends, it's gonna lead to most likely more a higher chance of injury, you know, from overuse. And it's then more time away from home, more time away from family, the expense as well of signing up for other races and having to book hotels and things. Um, because on top of racing, which obviously pulls me away from home at least once a month or more, um, my work that I do for Les Mills, so I I mentioned that in my bio that I'm a trainer for Les Mills Body Pump and Les Mills CX Works. And so what that requires me to do is go off on these weekend trainings. So what I actually do is I teach other people how to become an instructor in those classes So I will travel on a Friday, and then I'll train people all day Saturday and all day Sunday, and then I'll either drive or fly home, depending on where I am, on the Sunday night, or sometimes even on Monday if I can't fly out on the Sunday. So if you add in the, you know, I usually try and keep those to once a month, but sometimes I'm out twice a month on those, but then maybe, you know, not at all on another month. So then that's at least two weekends if you're having the racing and the training that I'm away And it just, there's just no time for anything else. So I guess what I'm basically saying is if I was going to go and do another race, another type of race, it would be at the expense of a Spartan. I would have to decide, okay, I'm not going to do this Spartan race because I'm going to go and try this savage instead. And now I've been doing it for a few years and I've made friends doing it. I really look forward to those races to see um, those friends that I've made who I know will be coming in because, you know, we're all local for the East coast and I kind of look forward to the races, the locations. We stay in some nice places. There's great places to eat and drink. So there you go.
0: (laughs) A good answer. I mean, I think you could switch out someone who kind of is on my side, who tends not to do Spartan and switch out the word Spartan and another brand. And you'd get, you can basically have a similar answer uh, from our side where it's like, you know, if I, if I want to go do a Spartan, uh, one, I live in the middle of the country. So I live in Kansas city and there's like almost nothing right. like the closest race is four hours and the next closest one is eight. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little more of a, of a travel expense for me. And then again, I'm going to have to do some, I'm going to have to give up a, another race that, you know, the series I race for conquer the gauntlet, I'd have to give up one of those races probably, or, yeah. Um, or my, you know, I tend to specialize in ultra stuff. So I have to give up a toughest smutter or something like that, but, and the, the toughest motor electricity. It's 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 overrated. <laughs> I, I mean, I I'm personally not a fan of it. I just think it's it's just something you just deal with. But uh, yeah. it not doesn't, doesn't hurt too bad. It's just um. <laughs> I, I'll tell you one thing during a during a 12 hour, it'll wake you up really good. So it's oh like, yeah,
1: there it's you like go. Three, Silver <laughs> lining right there. Yeah,
0: it's like three in the morning, and someone like <laughs> you too. You're like wow. So <laughs> usually, usually my first hundred meters out of that is is a pretty good pace, and then I, I taper back into my normal running pace. <laughs> So Spartans obviously making huge moves in the industry and a lot announcing a lot of, you know, both with the acquisition of Tough mudder and then, you know, they move their world championship overseas to Abu Dhabi. Oh, what do you have planned for 2020? assume let's assume let's assume by June uh all the real world stuff has calmed down and we are back to a normal race schedule.
1: Yeah. So um I mean, coming up, I would have had races at the beginning of April. There was Charlotte's um, Sprint Weekend I was going to do, but that's being postponed. There was end of April, New Jersey Beast also postponed. And so my next one, which kind of hangs in the balance, to be honest, um, and I, I, I'm expecting it to be postponed also, is Big Bear in California. So Big Bear kicks off the first race of the Mountain Series. So there's five races in the Mountain Series, Um, And that was my plan for this year is to, you know, do something different and actually um, attend all five of one of the series races. So I'm expecting to hear this week that that is going to be either postponed or canceled, um, which means I need to try and get my flights reimbursed because I had already booked flights to that. So then the next thing, if we're looking into June, um, will be Fayetteville. So Fayetteville uh, in North Carolina is at the end of June. Now, normally, I say normally, of course I have been doing this very long, but 2019, 2018, it's a super and sprint weekend. This year it is a beast and sprint weekend. And I've encouraged um, several of my clients to try it as their first beast because it's so flat down there. And so it's a good introduction to running the longer distance. Um, and then on into July, I would have another of, let's think, mid-July, I think, is um, a sprint in Indiana, which is also part of the Mountain Series. Um, what else is happening in July? August is West Virginia Trifecta Weekend, which I am planning to attend again this year. So in 2018, I ran the Beast on Saturday and then the super on Sunday. And then um, one of the other races on the protein. Kelly Sullivan, she's really well-known. Uh, she asked me, oh, are you running the sprint? And my response was, no, I ran, and this was after the beast, uh, sorry, after the super. I said, no, I ran the beast yesterday. And she's like, so did I, so what, come on. <laughs> she was so blase about it because like you, she's um, she prefers the ultra style distances. And so last year I thought, okay, I'm going for it. I'm going to do the beast on Saturday and I'm going to run the super and the sprint on Sunday. And you know, I made it, it was totally okay. Um, And again, like we were talking about earlier about how important your mental game is, that was a huge turning point for me because and I, I made a post about this a while back, and I said that there's weekends where I've been away, and I've had a super on Saturday and a sprint on Sunday, and I've woken up on the Sunday and just thought, oh, I'm so tired, I just don't know how I'm going to race this race today. And after I did a beast, saturday and then the super ends of the sprint on sunday i was like oh my god you pansy what were you complaining about because after that it just there was just no excuse you know and if i ever decided to run an ultra then i really wouldn't have anything to whine about at all but um yeah i mean hopefully the season you know can get back to normal from june july onwards i think i had about 20 2022 races planned um, for this year and it's obviously going to affect the trifecta status um, for this year I think I got five last year I was hoping to get at least five this year but yeah I mean we'll see what happens it's it's frustrating but you know for some people i've i've talked to who have injuries i've said to them look this is the best time for you to be injured because yeah. you're not missing out on anything you're able to rehab right now and um, one of my friends is having a baby this year and i jokingly said to well half jokingly said to my fiance i was like this is the year that we should have had a baby <laughs> <laughs> because it wouldn't have mattered you know we're not missing out on anything so um in you know part of you sort of feels like, well, well, what's the point? You know, there's nothing coming up for months, but with all this extra time that you have, what else are you going to do, but keep, keep going and keep working.
0: Yeah. I find I have no excuse not to go for a run now. It's, it's like, well, I literally am doing nothing today. I should probably go for a run. Like there's, you know, I, and I'm home all day, so I can spend, you know, I spend time with my wife and daughter at a different time of the day. So, you know, you take an hour or two out in the middle of the day and knock out your run and, you know, move yeah. on. Yeah,
1: and even, actually, even better, um, last year, so my uh, fiancé, he's just did a little bit of training. You know, went swimming a couple of times, he went running, got on his bike, and he said, oh, I'm going to tri- do a triathlon. And so we went off um, in Virginia, and he did this triathlon. And and same thing, it was like he was bitten by the bug. He signed up for seven triathlons this year. Um, Unfortunately, because of corona, he's going to miss the first one. But hopefully, he'll be able to attend the other six. But it's good because it means when... I want to go out running, he comes along now with me. We don't run together because we run at different paces or we might run different distances, but we'll go together to, where you know, whatever trail and then we can both knock out our runs at the same time. So that's good too.
0: Yeah, it's nice. It gives you accountability, someone to someone else who's relying on you to be someplace at a specific time. and Yeah, absolutely. Actually get out of bed and get moving. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned you're doing or we're planning on doing the mountain series. Uh, So two kind of questions for that is what would you consider your specialty distance or what do you think you're best at? And then do you consider yourself a mountain runner now? To be earlier, you said, you know, you don't run elevation.
1: No, I mean, honestly, when I think back to that first, hey, do you want to come and run up hills? Quit training for a Spartan race. And I said, oh, you know, no way. I don't run up hills. And now to think that I'm about to (laughs) to the mountain series it's kind of crazy but um okay so the thing that I would say about that and again goes back to the whole mental aspect of of exercising and especially of running is that I don't like running I'm not somebody who gets out of bed like oh I can't wait to go running I go running because I have to because if I'm not a good runner I'm not going to be good at OCR so I've been running so many times and it's become part of the routine that now even that utter suck of running uphill and being out of breath. And, you know, even when you kind of slow to this crawl, I don't, I keep running. It's it's very rare in my trail runs, at least not, not racing because you know, the terrain is different, but that I will stop and walk, you know, I push myself to run because I know I can. And Because I'm used to it. And so, you know, if we were having this conversation this time next year and you were saying, oh, so what was different, you know, but from like one year to the next. The thing that I was actually just beginning to implement before all the main gyms and everything shut down was to, the idea was to run a little bit less and to bike a little bit more to just save my feet. I had some pretty bad um, foot problems last year. And so the way that I'm motivated to ride better on a bike, this wasn't out and about on a regular bike. This was in a on a spin bike. So I decided I'm gonna go take spin classes because with somebody up there motivating me and pushing me, I will work harder than I will on my own. But I said to her after a few of these classes, I've realized now that with running, I just embrace the suckiness of going uphill. And I just keep going, but on the bike i I need to to build that mental fortitude because when my quads start burning and I'm getting out of breath, I start slowing down or I turn the resistance down on the bike and because I just I'm so uncomfortable so i guess I guess the key is with the running is that I'm more more comfortable being uncomfortable than I am doing other things so I don't know. I just, you know, I ran Killington last year and it was definitely harder than in 2018. And I just, I felt like my pace was good. I felt good up there on the mountain. There's always things to work on. And I think one of the big things I said, I was going to work on it last year. I, I didn't really do a great job and I need to continue this year is my nutrition while racing. Cause I can get really depleted because I find it so hard to eat while I'm running. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, in all honesty, when it comes to the Mountain Series versus anything else, the two choices when it came down to it were, okay, you're going to run the Mountain Series or you're going to run the U.S. National Series. And I looked at it from a time and financial perspective And the U.S. National Series, there was only one race that I could drive to and four that I would have to fly to. And on the flip side, the Mountain Series, there was one, the Big Bear, that I would have to fly to and four that I could drive to. So it just made more financial sense to run the Mountain Series. And so I think that's kind of what put the nail in the coffin, really, with deciding on that was the the time and the finances. Because as we all know, you know, OCR is expensive and time consuming.
0: Yes. And I did have
1: somebody ask me ask me a while back, oh, so do you uh, make money on your racing? I'm like uh, no, I spend all of my money on my <laughs> racing.
0: <laughs> nice. And what so what distance would you consider your 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 best at?
1: Mm, good question. I think maybe a super It's hard to say really, because when it comes to the, I mean, obviously the distances are different this year too. And, you know, the season having been basically canceled, I haven't even had a chance to see how I do with these new distances. But now with the sprint being a 5k, um, which is, you know, fairly similar to the way it has been, they're going to have to shorten them up a little bit, but the super for sure, you know, that would regularly be eight to nine miles and now it has to be 6.4 to be a 10K uh, or 6.2, whichever it is. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a lot. You're going to have to go faster, you know, to, to stay up there. But for the sprint, for sure, it's, you have to run a perfect race. And um, one of the things that I'm really abysmal at is the spear throw. And that's the thing that's cost me podiums before is I miss my spear throw. And then there you are doing your 30 burpees and, you know, the podium people go by you at that point. So I I just don't know. I think probably a super. If I I had to say, it would probably be a super.
0: Gotcha. So you mentioned the spear throw. Not a huge fan of it. Um, I don't even think it should be an obstacle personally. (laughs) What's your opinion on the spear throw in general?
1: I am so bad at it, so awfully bad. So the funny thing is that in my car, I permanently drive around with a target and three spears. So at any time, I could choose to go and set up my target and throw my spears in practice. Do I do this? Not very often. Um, They do live in my car, but now we've got all this time off. And like I mentioned in my bio, um, Greg, my fiance, he is so fantastic about building obstacles, not just for me, but for our clients. And so he said, hey, we should build this spear throw stand and then we can hang your um, bag from it, your targets and what we'll do is we'll get one of those little posts you know like you tie a dog up to and we'll attach a lanyard to that to the spear that way we can throw it outside the gym because where we are we're in a long building and we just have one little section so we have another business on either side of us so we can't just be throwing spears around because people's cars are there and there's you know occasionally somebody walking around Um, but it would feel a lot safer if it was sort of attached to this lanyard and of course that would be really good for me not just for our clients because I really need the practice it's it's yeah I mean I don't know like 90% of the time I miss the damn thing there was one weekend at the end of last year it was the New Jersey super and sprint weekend and so I made my spear throw on the in the super it was a really good throw too and the, the volunteer or the, the judge at the obstacle said, oh, a nice throw. And I went, oh, my God, I never made my spear throw. I was so happy. And so I'm running down the mountain, and I'm just so excited to see Greg because I know he'll be waiting down there somewhere for me. And so as I ran by him, I go, I made my spear. And he was recording. And he <laughs> turned it into this hilarious um, piece of footage, which I did post on my Instagram and it just cracks me up every time I watch it because he he replays it again and again and he makes I'm saying it in different voices like, I made my spear, spear, spear. I made my spear. <laughs> um, and then on the Sunday in the sprint I made it again and I thought to myself, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe I'm finally getting it. And then I went off to the, Carolina's weekend then I missed it both days (laughs) um but on my one and only race that I raced this year which was the Greek peak sprint in upstate New York I fell off the z wall which I was really annoyed about and like I said you know you fail an obstacle in a sprint you're done so I'm going over to do my burpees and of course the devil on the shoulder is saying that's it your race is over you know you're never going to do well now did the burpees, started running, started catching up with people. But then I came to the spear throw and I already saw so many people doing burpees. And lo and behold, I made my spear throw and um, managed to come in fourth place, you know, because I made my spear. So it's, I think it, you know, I think it's a good obstacle because it's a technical one. It's not something that you do need, you know, to be fast or to be strong or, to have good grip strength, you, you have to be able to have aim, really. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of nice. It adds a bit of a twist, but I, I just hate the damn thing. I always <laughs> will.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that about keeping in the back of your car because I, had, I did something similar except with a slack line. This is the uh, Conquer the Gauntlet had a slack line or still does have a slack line in their series that you have to walk across. And I was absolutely terrible at it for a long time until I practiced a lot. And uh, I used to keep one in my car for the same reason. And also similarly, I never, I still, I practiced slackline a lot, but it usually wasn't the one for my trunk. It was usually, I usually end up at a ninja gym and I'd practice it there. And the, right. one, in my tr- the one in my trunk mostly sat in my trunk.
1: Yeah, we have good far. intentions, but they don't often come to fruition.
0: <laughs> now you mentioned your, you mentioned several times, you are know, your personal trainer, and then you actually train other trainers. As a personal trainer and a trainer of trainers, you know, what's something that you can take away from working with all these other clients that you can apply to your own racing or training in obstacle course racing?
1: If this answers the question, I feel like honestly, just doing the very best that I can do because I know that I am a role model and an inspiration to other people. So, when I did that race, I just mentioned the Greek peak sprint, and I fell off the Z-wall. Z when I was telling my clients about it, and I said, you know how I failed the Z-wall, but I made my spear throw and I came forth, they were like, oh my gosh, you fell off the Z-wall and you still came forth. You know, they're, they're so excited about it and they're so inspired by it. And I think that even though I would have loved to have not fallen off the Z-wall, it makes me more kind of real in their eyes because I'm struggling still with the same stuff that they are. It, it's not like I run these perfect clean races all the time. I, I almost always fail an obstacle. I almost always have to do burpees. Um, and that I think just, I don't know, gives me a better connection with my clients and especially for the ones who take failure so hard, I have one client in particular and she's so hard on herself and she lets it affect her for weeks after the race and to be able to empathize properly with that, I think is a really, really important. Cause if I was just, you know, if I was Lindsay or Nicole and I was just winning everything all the time and never failing anything, then you can only sort of be like, Oh, you know, that's too bad. Pat on the back, you know, let's work on it and get better. but. To say, you know, I actually, I really understand how you feel because I do take it really hard myself when I make mistakes and I don't get the result that I want. You know, once you've been on the podium, it's really hard to not be on the podium when you go to races again. And especially when you feel like you did something really stupid. Um, And in a uh, race weekend from last year, I failed the Z-Wall both days. And I think I would have come first both days if I hadn't fallen off the wall. And for a good couple of weeks afterwards, I really had a tough time falling asleep at night because I was just on the wall and just replaying it over in my mind. Like, what went wrong? What could you have done differently? Or how could you let this happen? And beating myself up about it. And so again, I went on Instagram and I said, hey, how do you guys deal with disappointments? Um, and one uh, racer responded and she said, there's even been races that I won and I still was kicking myself for doing things wrong. And so I thought, well, I'm, <laughs> I know I'm not the only one, you know, it's happening to all of us. And if you, if you didn't, you know, do you really care about it? Is it something you should really be pursuing? Because if if you're not bothered by the fact that you don't Perform well when you're actually competing and running as an elite athlete. Then um, I guess that kind of says something. I hope that answered your question.
0: That was that. I think that was better than my question that I asked. But (laughs) I mean, you had a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, you know, both dealing with adversity and challenges and races. You know, it's not that Nicole and Lindsay aren't super nice people because I think they are, and every time I've interacted with them, they've been very, very friendly. But it's a lot easier to be friendly and. Up, upbeat when you're always doing well yes. at races. That's um, true. And then, you know, I think everyone's their own toughest critic. Um, I remember I was interviewing Hobie Call a couple of years ago and he was like, I was like, oh, congratulations on coming in third at OCR World Championships. And he's like, eh. And I was like, what? Why are you upset? Like <laughs> you lost to Ryan Atkins and Jonathan Albin and you were the top American. Like, I don't. And he's like, yeah, I didn't really like how that race turned out. Like, you know, he had, he had his, whatever his own personal you know, things that he didn't perform well at, I guess he was just not happy with. Yeah. Um, There's a, a lot of good info in there that I think people can, can take away and apply to their own training. Cool. So we're going to start wrapping things up here. Uh, before we go, though, we like to do, tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. So uh, you can go first and I'll try to come up with something somewhat similar or I'll stray completely off topic and.
1: Okay, well, obviously from the accent and the fact that I've already told you, not England. but one thing that I haven't mentioned, which I think is really cool, um, is that I did also live in New Zealand for a year and a half. So after I finished university, I um, just wanted to do something different. So I uh, went to visit a friend of mine who was teaching English in Japan. And then I went to Thailand for a little bit, and then I went over to new zealand and I spent some time finding a job. I finally got a job for a civil and environmental engineering consultancy um, as a hydraulic engineer, and I worked there for a year and just oh that country is amazing i mean if every I know that we can 't travel right now but if anyone 's thinking about where can I go on my next vacation or something for their bucket list I just can 't speak highly enough of New Zealand. It is honestly like a paradise and it has everything that you could want to do if you 're an outdoorsy person you 've got mountains to climb and hike up you 've got glaciers there 's skiing there 's amazing beaches. the wildlife is fantastic. Different trees and plants, whale watching, dolphins, scuba diving. It's you know, like you hear that and you think, well, why did you ever leave? <laughs> Which sometimes I ask myself the same thing. Um, it just is so far away from everywhere. And I just thought, well, if I live there, England, you know, is so, so far away. I would always be going back to England when the time I had uh vacation. So I decided to leave, um, but it is, thankfully, I've, I've had the, the luck of going back there at least two, if not three times since I left. And I just love it. In fact, I will be going back over next year for a friend's wedding. I'm the bridesmaid at her wedding. Oh, nice. uh, so, yeah, I think that's kind of a cool thing. And it especially, it doesn't mean so much in, well, or anything really in the OCR world. But in the Les Mills world, it's a big, big deal. Because uh, Les Mills, who is an actual person, he is a Kiwi. Um, and the company originates from New Zealand. Oh,
0: so when I lived
1: there. Yeah, when I lived there, I was a member of the Les Mills gym in Auckland. And at the time, I honestly didn't think anything of it. If, you know, you went to Gold's or you went to Lifetime, whatever, it's just your gym. So I went and took these classes. And then after moving to America and finding that I could go through the training and become a body pump instructor, I was so excited. So I did that, you know, it followed on with CX Works. I became a body combat instructor, a grit instructor. And then the fact that I was sort of like Les Mills Auckland's a bit like Mecca, you know, it's the hub, it's the heart of the company. So when I go off and I do my trainings, if there are people in the group who are these sort of hardcore Les Mills, you know, junkies who've been with the company um, for many, many years, and I say that they're like, oh, oh my goodness, it's so exciting. Um, so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything in the OCR world, but it's it's very big deal in the Les Mills world. But just country wise, amazing, amazing, amazing. Like if I had to pick a country, you know, to retire to, let's say, it would be New Zealand.
0: Cool. So I'll share a couple things there. So you mentioned like the Les Mills, that's like the mecca of you know his company there. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, New York, which I'm. I'm pretty sure a lot of people can tell by my accent, but you know, the, in bodybuilding, there's two huge meccas of like fit, like bodybuilding fitness, right? There's Gold's Gym in West Coast in LA, where Arnold Schwarzenegger trained, mm-hmm. and um, actually Muscle Beach is also right down the yep. strip there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a huge deal. Both those are huge deals. But there, there's something called the East Coast Mecca, which is Bev Francis Gym in Syosset, Long Island, so Syosset, New York. And I lived, you know, I grew up, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes from there. And I didn't know about it until after I'd moved away to college and uh, started living at other places. And, you know, my family still lives there. So when I used to go back, I used to go uh, train there. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, if you look in like, you know, Flex magazine or muscle and fitness, a lot of times they use the same gyms over and over again for shoots. And a Uh, lot of times it's Bev Francis in uh, Syosset, New York. So Very I like, cool. like when I actually flipped through those, mag- I don't anymore, but when I used to, uh, was a lot more involved in that world, I used to flip through the magazines, and I could tell what gym, you know, these, these photo shoots are done in. Cause you start recognizing cause they're just used over and over again. And, uh, you know, I met, uh, Mr. Olympia, Kevin English, one of the Mr. Olympia 202 at the time used to work there. So I met him there. Uh, steam Weinberg who's one of the coaches for Mr. Olympia. Bev Francis is a former miss She did she win Miss Olympia? I can't remember. She was a big name though, um, back in the 80s. So that, that's kind of a tie into that. And then other than that, I travel a lot, both for work and for um, personal hobby. And um, I think it's just a great experience, a good way to spend your money and see parts of the world. I think you get a lot more out of experiences than you do out of things per se. So I t- Oh my gosh,
1: I wholeheartedly agree. And We're always trying to tell. Um, my fiance has an eight-year-old son. Um, and we're always telling him people and experiences over things, you know, oh, you yeah. need the latest Xbox, you need to go out and see something and, or do something. So I, I, mean, I, I still love to travel. I did a lot of it in my younger days, went to loads and loads of different countries. Um, but yeah, I'm a hundred percent on the same page as either.
0: Yeah. So the countries, let's see where I've been, I've been to England, Ireland, Germany, uh France, uh Czech Republic very briefly. Um, let's see where else. Russia on vacation. And then for work, I've been to Jordan, Qatar, Lebanon, Iraq, Kuwait. Um, and then also for vacation, I've been to UAE, United Arab Emirates. And kind okay. of speaking of that, you know, I know they moved Abu they moved swimming World Champions to Abu Dhabi this year. Um, so I I forgot to ask you, are you plan on Going to the World Championships?
1: Nope, I am not.
0: No, hard pass. to
1: go there? Yep, definitely hard pass. Um, I, my main reason for not going is that I know that the culture out there prefers women to be covered up, and I just think it's disrespectful to be in somebody's country. And you know, I mean, you know what people women race in. You know, often it's just like little. Teeny tiny shorts and a sports bra, mm-hmm. and I just don't feel like it's respectful of us to go over to their country where that's the way that they believe women should dress and not dress like that. And I'm definitely not going to be covered up and go racing because that's never going to go well. Um, you know, plus there's a certain aspect of danger to it. I don't know how keen they are on Americans. Um, I, you ain't, the expense, you ain't
0: It's 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 very westernized. And they're they're used to expats and uh, other countries coming through. So, especially, yeah. I mean, uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai are both like, I mean, those are c- completely westernized. I, I, the, the the local women will be completely covered up, but right. the the normal like you walk down the street of I've never been to Abu Dhabi, I've been to Dubai. Um, you walk down the street of Dubai, and you'll see women dressed I would consider normal. Um, yeah, you won't see like. I, you don't want to see like super low cut shirts and cleavage hanging out and stuff like that. But, um, people will dress, be dressed normal. Uh, we would consider appropriate. Right. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, i wish that it, I just wish it wasn't there to be honest. Yeah. I think that seeing a Spartan race was born in the United States, it should remain in the United States, even though they want it to be a world, a global event. Yeah. I think there's there's nothing wrong with it being in the United States it can't be you know people can't talk negatively about that because that's where it was it came from true um and we have so many amazing places that they could hold it I mean Tahoe is amazing um but you know maybe somewhere in like Colorado would be my kind of guess for it or you, know, you if they wanted to move it aboard somewhere in Europe and you know, there's amazing mountains in France
0: and I don't yeah. know
1: they could have they could have picked somewhere a little bit less controversial i think
0: yeah so I don't know this is the way that this happened i I this is complete- complete speculation I know when um Qatar got the bid for the i can't remember is it the twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty four World Cup for soccer, whatever mm-hmm. when they got the bid for the World cup, you know it eventually comes out that they bribed FIFA and <laughs> right and 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 the, and the so I was in Qatar at the time when they got the, the bid for the world cup and the Qataris were like, yeah, that's how this works. Like we paid the most money and yeah. they came here. Like they they, don't, they didn't even see it as something wrong. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't that they did a bribe. <laughs> it was like, I paid them and they showed up. So I don't, I'm not saying this is what happened, but I'm also not saying this is not what happened that, um, I mean, when Dhabi, it was announced,
1: there was yeah. so much negativity in the streams on social media. And that's, that's the common theme. That's what people were saying, was that basically that Spartan went to the highest bidder. Like, yeah. who can we get the most money from? Um, it's not Tahoe anymore. They're not going to pay as much as they will over in this other country. Um, and that's, that's why they were motivated to go there. And it was just because of money.
0: I mean, on, on the flip side... Well, I'd say two things on the flip side. One, we just had, say, the other two leaders in the industry fold, right? Warrior Dash is is gone. They were the kind of the intro series for most people. And Tough Mudder just went bankrupt. So yeah. can I blame Spartan if they were paid an absorbent amount of money? Like, is maybe that's how the sport stays afloat for a couple more yeah, years. Yeah, that's you know? true. So, and then and also I would say the do the people of a – area or a country have to get negative repercussions because their government doesn't adhere to the same standards that we do
1: you know right like if you're
0: an athlete in the middle east but let's say you're you know more pro women's rights and more um pro things we would consider free in america do you should you have to suffer because your government has a specific stance and uh I don't think that's an easy question to answer you know maybe maybe that person can move out of that country, maybe they can't based off their situation, but I don't think yeah. it's a i don't think it's a black and white type issue um yeah just some just some thoughts i I've worked in the middle east for i've i've spent almost four years of my life in various countries in the middle east and in, in the military yep yeah yeah and uh so I've worked with a lot of the local governments and the soldiers there and um one of the things they've like you know they. We we have a, in the U.S. we have separation of church and state, um, which we view as a good thing. If you use that term in the Middle East, they would call it godlessness, right? Like, what mm-hmm. do you mean? What do you mean your God isn't helping define your laws? That's insane, right? right? Like, it's a it's a different perspective. I'll just kind of I'll just kind of leave it at that. But went off on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah, so,
1: it, yeah, in a nutshell, no, not going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of people like to say, oh, well, it's not a world championship unless it moves. When, I mean, if you look at other sports, that's not true, right? Like uh, Ironman Hawaii, Ironman World Championship has never left Hawaii. It's there every mm. year, every single year, right? Like the Super Bowl is always in the US. I mean, I guess not a lot of other countries play that sport, but, you know, there are certain sports, our uh, Tour de France is, I would say, the biggest, you know, the biggest cycling event in the world. And they don't; it, it's always in France. I, I guess yes, it goes into some of the neighboring countries. But you know, some of those major sporting events that would be considered championships don't travel around; um, they stay in one place. So there's yep, historical true. precedent. I think it's nice to move the championship around the world, but I don't think it's mandatory for it to be a le- quote-unquote legitimate championship. So. Yeah. Oh, so my other, well, where I was going until I wildly digressed was, um, I traveled a lot for pleasure and for work and the two places I kind of still want to go to that are kind of towards the top of my list are Japan, just because I think it'd be really interesting. And then, uh, Jerusalem. So the Holy land, right? So mm-hmm. seeing all the actual sites from the Bible, garden of Gethsemane and uh, church of the Holy Sepulcher and Bethlehem and, um all that, all that stuff. I think that'd be right. So
1: you've obviously been to New Zealand then. Otherwise that would be on
0: your list. Oh, I, I all right. I'll add New Zealanders to three. <laughs>
1: Come I on. Didn't I do a good enough job of selling it?
0: You, you, you <laughs> did. But the problem is I, I am a huge nerd, um, which people, my podcast listeners know, but I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. And oh. so I know Lord of the Rings was filmed there. Yes. Um, and that's usually why my nerdy friends would go there. Uh, but I, am not, Lord of the Rings doesn't do anything for me. So, um, you lost some points there. I don't know. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, Japan is a fantastic. I only spent nine, 10 days there, but I absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the countries that I feel like I had the biggest culture shock. You know, I've been, so I've also been to um, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Singapore, Malaysia, oh, wow! and all of those countries, you know, they do things very differently. Their ways are different, but in Japan, there was just, it just had such a wow factor to it. I really, really liked it. My fiance, that is 100% on his bucket list. And he even jokes, if he went there, he'd never come back again. <laughs> um, so, you know, sometime it will be in our future to go out there. But yeah, you've picked a good one there. You just, I mean, I'm sure you like sushi too, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. I'll crush some sushi. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But Jerusalem, interesting. I've never, that's not been on my, I mean, there's plenty of places that are not on my radar and plenty of places I want to go, but yeah, that's not one I'd ever thought of going.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's start wrapping things up for real this time. Um, one, where can people find you on social media? And then two, any shout outs you want to give to friends, families, sponsors, et cetera?
1: Oh, um, well, I'm on both Instagram and Facebook. On Facebook, I'm Amy Cross, I-M-M-I-E-C-R-O-S-S. And on Instagram, I'm Amy Cross underscore Spartan. Um... Oh, well, I'm going to be really sad and just say the biggest shout-out is to my (laughs) fiancé. He is my biggest supporter, and um, it's definitely a challenge for us because we run, run a business together, live together. He's my on and off again, you know, coach. He's not really my coach, but he likes to give me advice, which, like I said with the running, sometimes it takes me a long time to actually listen to and take on what he's saying. But he's super supportive, and I know that he always has my best interests at heart. And is always reading, researching, you know, building. Like he even built us a twister for the gym. He welded it himself. Um, he gives up his weekends to come racing with me. So he definitely is my my number one supporter. Um, so it definitely deserves a shout out. As of yet. Don't have any sponsors, but, you know, if somebody wants to sponsor me, I'm definitely open to that. And was there anything else you asked for?
0: Uh, nope. That's – right. any yeah, just thank yous, sponsor shout-outs, or any, anything else you want to say before I, we let you go.
1: I think that's it. It's a wrap.
0: All right. Well, uh, for those listeners, we do have Blegmit Lights and Blegmit Extremes in stock back at Strength & Speed, so people can head over there if they want to order. I know Emmy has some, and then on top of that, you mentioned Kelly Sullivan. I think she just ordered a pair like two or three weeks ago, right when this whole yeah. craziness I mean, if, is kicking off.
1: Yeah, if you're serious about racing, you definitely need a pair of those. And I have, uh, I think quite a few OCR racers are actually familiar with, uh, I don't know if I say it right, but rainos. So it's a condition where you lose the circulation in your extremities. Oh, uh, your yeah. Rainards, yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately I have that. So the um the Blegmits are absolutely essential for helping with that because once it starts, it's and if I'm racing, it's near impossible for that to go away. Um and yeah, the Blegmits are an absolute lifesaver.
0: Awesome. I'm glad to hear some positive feedback. <laughs> <laughs> They're and worth every penny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, other than that, uh, people can head over to Strength and Speed also. Got my books up for sale there. Uh, Strength and Speed's Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing, motor and Guide's Ultra OCR Bible, motor Guide's Ultimate OCR Bucket List, Conquering the Gauntlet, and then my biography, Ultra OCR Man from Special Forces Soldier to Record-Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer. Uh, That last one, my biography, is available on Audible now, and it's also on digital and hard copy. The other ones are basically hard copy and digital only, so... Well, it's available. Teamstrengthspeed.com. Emmy, thanks again for coming on the show. Maybe I'll branch out of my uh, non-Spartan bubble this year, and we can cross paths at some point, or I hope so. Vice versa. And,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. You never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, see each other in person at some point. Yes, but, uh, it was great talking to you. Stay safe, and we'll catch up to you later.
1: Likewise, it was a pleasure, and stay safe, you too.